Tammy has an ability to make proper nouns. So uh, she creates proper nouns, words that would be capitalized and quoted. Um, there's, uh, there's, there's just a few proper nouns that, that all the Kuiper family knows. My favorite one is, that's a setup. Okay, so that started with our kids. Uh, we, we keep, uh, she keeps a pretty tidy house. If you ever come to our house, you can go to that third car garage. That's me right there, all that mess and stepping over things and stuff dying in there and dried worms. That's me. The rest of the house is this beautiful, organized structure. I worried about it when we had kids, like, oh, no, uh, everything is clean and tidy and put away and everything has its place. You can ask her after the service where she can find AAA batteries and she'll not tell you just where, what cupboard, what drawer, but what bin it's in, in that shelf. Uh, she has made these proper nouns, and my favorite, again, was set up. Setup was defined as this. Our kids are playing, whether it's Legos or G.I. Joes, and they have set up a scene. They've built something up. And when it comes time to clean up the toys, you can designate a certain group of toys as a setup. If it's a setup, then it doesn't have to be put away. So, of course, our kids were brilliant, you know. Mom, this is a setup. No, that's not a setup. Remember one time, Anna, I, it was her turn. Turn, and, and I put this stuff away, but Dad, that's a setup. I said, honey, that's a trash setup. <laughs> and she started crying, and she couldn't talk very well. She said, it's not a trash setup. It's not a trash setup. Her proper noun. The proper noun, though, that I like the most, that Tammy coined out of Proverbs, was iron friends. She would talk to our kids all the time because we moved more than we ever wanted to. And we would move to a place and Tammy would say, boys, do you think that's going to be one of your iron friends? Is that just a friend? Is it an acquaintance? Or will it be an iron friend? Now, it's special to me because those of you who know me know that this week, um, I flew out to Virginia after I preached in St. Louis. I flew out on Sunday, and I spent five days with buddies I've known for 25 years. And for the last 20 years... We've taken one week in November. We love to hunt and fish. We've taken one week of November, and we spent that time together. And as we spend that time together, we, we catch up right where we left off. We talk about our wives, our churches. Those two guys are both ruling elders in the Presbyterian Church in America. So when I planted uh, and when I went to different places, it was so nice to have guys that were ruling elders in a church that I could come and I could unload. And they knew me. They knew all the things I loved. They knew my frailties. They couldn't fire me. So I was able to just tell them, I hate this, I don't like that, I, this makes me mad, I've been slacking off here. I'm, and, and, and it was just this wonderful community of iron friends. And, and, it was, and it's just grown that way, and it's taken 20 years. This year, if they're watching, they'll probably wouldn't deny this, this year they were the needy ones. And I remember telling before I went, I said, Tammy, I'm so excited about this time because I don't feel like I'm broken, or I'm worn out, or I'm sad or I need to be encouraged. I said, this is going to be fun, man, because usually I'm there I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. We're running out of money here. I don't know about this. I'm dealing with this in Presbyterian. You know, and it's always like, I always feel like I'm like, hi, guys. <laughs> and it just so happens that both of these men were dealing with some really heavy stuff. And on Thursday night, as we were, we were talking through just some deep heartbreak, um, I looked at him. I said, this is why we've been meeting for 20 years. We've been meeting for 20 years for this. They're my iron friends. 
Now, the proverb that we read, it, it doesn't necessarily say that an iron friend is always good, but it is encouraging us to think about that community. As one man will sharpen another, so iron sharpens iron. And as parents, when we'd ask our kids that, we were in effect saying, be careful, son, be careful, daughter, who is your iron friend? Because they will change you. you know, every parent wants to think that their kid's the leader and their kid's the one's going to, you know, there's, there's got to be some people that follow. <laughs> and and it, it happens usually both ways. You're sharpening someone else and you're being sharpened. And so uh, that's the title this morning, Iron Friends. That's where it comes from. Our context, again, in Proverbs has been a father passing on to his son all the wisdom that he can muster, taking various sources, arranging it in such a way that it could be read. One could be read every day. And, and most of the important things that were done were uh, repeated in proverb after proverb after proverb. Um, and, and so we are, for these last two, we are just taking a, a couple of uh, topics. And so this morning's topic is uh, accountability, community, community. Um, so Proverbs 18, I'm going to read the first two verses of Proverbs 18. I would like to have read all of Proverbs 27, but it's long, and uh, for the sake of time, we'll just read uh, Proverbs 27, verses 6, and then 10 to 17. So Proverbs 18, this is the Word of God. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Proverbs 18, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Psalm 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Verse 10, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for an adulteress. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. In the height of the British Empire, Admiral Lord Nelson uh, actually, he was a vice admiral in the British Navy, highly decorated. He remarks this about the men he commanded. It's late 1700s. Every sailor is a bachelor when beyond Gibraltar. You know what he was saying? Every sailor is a bachelor when beyond Gibraltar. He was saying once he leaves... They leave the confine of their community, their city, their country. They become different men. Once wife, family, church, 
are not watching them, once they get on the ship and they leave and it's just a bunch of other sailors, all of a sudden they're bachelors. They are living as though they have no commitment, as though they are not married. Um, uh, John Newton, the slave trader, uh, late 1700s, uh, before his conversion, was a man who was known to be a gentleman at home, but was vulgar and abusive while away. Once saved, he of course wrote Amazing Grace. But he would say in his memoirs that he was only needed a, an ounce of anonymity and he became a whole different person. And I find it interesting that in our society, and I think it's quoted in your bulletin um, under that first uh, passage of visibility, that we are a society that has the ability to see everything. So on my phone, I have Life 360. And Life 360 lets me know where the people in that group, where they are, or where their phone is, how fast they're driving, what time they got in, where they're going. Um, and, and so there's, in some sense, there's this, you can't hide from technology. And so what, what the author there talks about is you can, you, you've got on one hand, you've got um, all this technology uh, that helps, helps you to remain anonymous, to delete all of your web browsing history, to get off the grid. But then on the Christian side, you have Christians that are trying to do the opposite. Right, so when I deal with men that are struggling with issues on their computer and other things, uh, one of the first things you do is like, okay, how can we make it so that everybody in the world can see what you're looking at on your computer? Right, we want to take away anonymity. We want to take away being uh, private and open it up. The world is longing to give us freedom to be different people, and the scripture is saying, no, that's the that's the worst thing uh, that can happen. Um, Jimmy Dodd the founder of Pastor Sir, who spent most of his life ministering to pastors in crisis and churches in crisis. Uh, I've mentioned his book before, uh, Thrive, Survive or Thrive, um, in dealing with pastors. He says that there are six relationships a pastor needs. He needs a boss, he needs a teacher, he needs a coach, he needs a counselor, he needs a mentor, and he needs a friend. Why do pastors need this? And really, I would say everyone needs this. But he was particularly uh, amazed at how what he would call the front stage of a pastor, what you as a church would see on a Sunday, what he says and how he acts and how his kids act and how his wife acts, uh, the front stage. It's like a professional athlete on the court. That, that's what we worship. That's what we see. That's what we praise. The backstage, what they are in private, the man they are, but their kids would get to know. Man, they are when nobody is watching. And he would say that, that in all the churches that he's dealt with and the pastoral problems that he has dealt with, when the front stage and the backstage have a vast difference, disaster is just around the corner. And I would say that for you as Christian, that's what these Proverbs are saying. When the front stage, who you are in public is so far different from who you are in private that you are headed for disaster. I was reading Tim Callis. He wrote a great article in Tabletop, Table Talk uh, entitled Escaping Anonymity. He says this, Life is far too difficult 
And we are far too sinful to live in solitude. We need community, we need accountability, and God has anticipated our need by giving us the local church as the primary means of this accountability. First time in my life, I am stealing the sermon in a sentence from a quote. And that's our sermons and sentence this morning. Life is too hard, and we are too sinful to live in solitude. Right? I want you to think about that person that lives in solitude. Right? That person that's stuck on an island somewhere, and they come and find them. And what are they? They're always crazy. Right? They're always crazy. There's always something wrong with them. Right? They've been all by themselves. There's been no one there to correct their crazy behavior. And they live in a house with 73 cats. They're crazy. Solitude is craziness. Hiding away purposefully has that effect on people. So this month, um, well, a couple weeks ago, I had a little surgery done on my toe, and it kept me from uh, long showers. And so if I look fuzzy on the screen, it's because I have a little bit of hair growth here. And I didn't spend a lot of time in the shower, and I usually shave my head in the shower. And um, I told Tammy, I said, it's no shave November. Um, but that, that just means I'm not going to shave my head for November. And I said, the great thing is, then that will lead to comb over December. <laughs> she said, uh-uh, comb over? She goes, does anybody really think that works? <laughs> I'm like, obviously. I, I, I thought, does anybody here have a comb over? I don't know, but I, I've seen some crazy comb overs, you know, and I'm like, hey, it's just, not, it's just not working. What's a comb over? It's some way of saying, I'm not going bald. Some way of saying I'm able to cover this spot, which I don't like and I don't want anybody else to see. Right? We, we, we work on the front stage, sometimes and oftentimes to the detriment of the backstage. Life's too hard. We're too sinful to live in solitude. As I said in my prayer, my dad, we moved him into hospice early this week. This last week, I dealt with painful breakups, loss of life, loss of jobs, major issues in churches and their sessions, wayward children, and um, able to help, able to listen uh, because of the years in community. So what do we need? I've, I've listed three things here from the text. We need wisdom in our visibility, we need wisdom in our commitments, and we need wisdom in our community. First of all, we need wisdom and visibility. As I have said, uh, we, we long to hide. Os Guinness says, more of us today are more anonymous in more situations than any generation in human history. The, the Proverbs say, isolation, it breaks out against all sound judgment. To isolate ourselves breaks out against all sound judgment. And I want to tell you that because the church has the gospel, we have no excuse to be isolated. We don't. We, we, if, if we hold on to what Christ has done for us, there is not something that you'll find out about me that disqualifies me for adoption in the family of God. There is not some sin, some dark secret that will come out that will keep me from being justified by faith alone in Christ alone. 
We of all people have reason to say, here I'm opening the backstage of my life to be visible. Fools don't want to understand. Fools only want to speak their opinion. To be visible. To be known. It is the longing of our hearts to be known. It's something nice about 20 years of knowing a person. I can tell them something's going on and they'll know what it means to me. And brothers and sisters, I'm urging you towards that. It doesn't happen overnight. And I've had people get upset with me. I've had people uh, in previous churches that, that would come into my office and they'd unload everything and they would expect me to unload everything to them. And I'm like, I, you haven't earned that trust yet. I don't know if I can trust you to know me in that way. It takes time. We do small groups, but you have to take it upon yourself too. I need to find someone to know and be known. So there is a wisdom in visibility. There is a wisdom in commitments. So Proverbs 27, if you go to verse 10, uh, don't forsake your friend or your father's friend. Wisdom in commitments. To whom or what are you moving towards? Who do I want to become? What am I committed to becoming? Think about this in sports. It's so clear and it's so easy, right? You put your kid in Little League and you expect that there are going to be some things he's going to learn. He's going to learn the rules of baseball. He's going he's gonna to have this, you're all going to have this common goal of what he's going to learn and what you expect to see. Your boy plays football. He goes to the weight room. There's an expectation. He goes to the weight room because he wants to become stronger. He wants to become faster. And there's such diligence. There's uh, metrics. I remember when my boys played high school football. I mean, everything was measured. Weight, how much you lift, how fast your 40 is. Uh, personalized developmental plans. Oh, if we put that into our faith, wouldn't that be wonderful? It would be wonderful if when the new year rolled around, we had a list of spiritual goals. Now, we live in grace, and so sometimes we, we think that, oh, that's too works righteousness. That's too legalistic. We don't say that about other things, do we? I'm going to go to work five days a week. Oh, you're going to be legalistic about that? I'm going to eat breakfast. Really? Sounds like legalism to me, right? And so we, we fear that, but, but spiritual disciplines... I want to be more in prayer this year. So you know what's going to happen Monday? Monday, Mark is going to get on the scale. Why am I going to get on the scale? Because in January, me and the boys, we all decided we could lose about two people. And we all knew that we could lose about two people for a long, long time. And we just didn't do anything about it. And so as we talked about it, it's my sons and my son-in-law. We have this little group chat. We, we set up for our goals for the year. You know, what, what do you want to accomplish this year in December? What do you want to look back and say that you've done? And we, we gather them around physical and spiritual and relational. What books do you want to read? Um, and, and so on Monday, Monday is the, is the day that we all log in. And... Um, I didn't need to learn anything about my weight. 
I've dropped about 45 pounds this year. Went to the doctor. She said, she said, how did you do that? I said, there's a secret, ma'am. Lean forward. I ate less. I exercised more. And she's like, oh, okay, I get it. It wasn't something I needed to know. I needed to be accountable. I needed someone else to know. I needed someone else that cared for me that I was willing to say, hey, boys, it's a bad week. I've already preempted them for my week in Virginia. I sent them pictures of the chocolate chip pecan pie that a lady made for me. I'm like, guys, you know, I've got to eat this whole pie. <laughs> right? But some of those things are not going to happen unless we decide, how do I want to go? Where do I want to grow? What am I going to hold myself accountable to? What commitments am I going to make? And so before we get these iron friends, uh, there's an understanding that for me to grow, I'm going to have to be less invisible, but I'm also going to have to have people that agree to the same commitments. So when we do our membership vows as a church, I think it's the fourth vow that says, do you promise in reliance upon the Holy Spirit, that you will endeavor to become as followers of Jesus. That question is saying, as part of our community, is it your goal? Are you committed to your life being visible in the church and in the community, your life being visible in such a way that it says this person is committed to the Lord? And that's what he's saying here. Look at the things that he's listing in verse 11. How am I going to answer those who accuse or try to derail me? I am going to need accountability. Uh, verse 12, he sees danger. What is an old man going to help a young man with? Seeing danger. Don't start your kids on this path. Don't spend like this. Uh, whatever it is, he sees the danger. Uh, verse 13, to take security. What's he saying? In your business dealings, what type of business, what type of partner will you be? Verse 14, how will you deal with your neighbors? Verse 15, what about a difficult marriage? In all of these things, he is saying, what will you be committed to? I put in your outline uh, an interesting quote from Randy Alcorn that he writes in The Treasure Principle. I think it's in, is it up here? Yeah. It's increasingly common for Christians to ask one another the tough questions. So I'm saying this is the minimum. How is your marriage? How have you been spending time in the world? In the word, how are you doing in terms of sexual purity? Have you been sharing your faith? But how often do we ask, how much are you giving to the Lord? Or have you been robbing God? Or are you winning the battle against materialism? Isn't that interesting? I mean, those first things, we kind of expect that, right? When we do small group, and I'll take the men, we, those are the kind of things we ask. Men questions. But even me, who's not really afraid of digging around, I don't ask those questions. I don't want to know. Maybe I do want to know and I shouldn't know. I don't know. But are we committed to the same things Together, What does that mean? Do you have goals that are known? Do you have goals that are known? And do you have goals that are known that you share with people who care for you? Are they written down? Do you have a personal creed or a creed that you hold yourself to? The last part of this really is this wisdom in community. And so uh, verse 6 of 27, faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, a man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experienced the presence of God and the reality of the other person. As long as I'm by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the clear. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. He writes that in his book, Life Together, based on a community that uh, was just phenomenal that he had uh, before he was killed uh, by the Nazis. Uh, There is a relief for those of you who have felt it in confession. As a father, I would see it in my kids. We would know something is wrong. There's something they're holding in. There is something that is wrong. And when they confessed, and when it was found out, tears, maybe the rod of discipline, there was sweet peace afterwards. Tim Callis goes on to write, God has helped me understand that accountability is closely tied to visibility and that personal holiness will not come through anonymity, but through deep and personal relationships with my brothers and sisters in the local church. And so I have sought to make myself more visible that I may accept correction and rebuke when necessary. At the same time, I've renewed my commitment to the one who is always watching and who knows every word I write and every intention of my heart. We must be wise in our community. If iron is to sharpen iron, if our friends are iron friends, then our community will have great effect upon who we become. The fool has a community that gives him unearned adoration and acceptance. And many fools find that in a local church. A local church that thinks it's somehow nice and gracious to not call sin, sin. A local church that is more, uh, more about sharing the love of Christ with everyone uh, than making that love more deep by showing the sin of everyone. The wise man has a community that will engage. The wise man has friends who are faithful enough to wound them. There is wisdom in community. Uh, so these thoughts... Together, the thoughts that a father would give his son. If I'm to summarize them, I would say there are really three things that he's saying in this proverb. And you'll find it through all the other proverbs where he addresses relationships. The wise father is instructing him, his son in three things. If you want, you should write these down. The first thing he is saying, be known. Son, you, you just, you've got to be known. I know that we, we try to put forth a self that other people will accept, a self that other people will want to invite to the party. But when we do that, it is that false self that other people love. It is that false self that they're attached to. Son, be known. And again, the gospel says that. Of all religions, Christianity says, oh, <clears throat> God invites us to be honest and real and and we're not performing to be accepted. We're accepted. And so in the midst of that acceptance, he is saying, bring all of your brokenness to me. Be known, son, be known. Secondly, he is saying, be committed. Be committed to a set of principles and beliefs. I call this the, the personal creed, a statement of faith. Be committed, he says, to these be committed to becoming a better man 
in the backstage. A better woman in the backstage. Third, be in community with those who share the above. Be in community with those who want to be known. Be in community with those who are committed to a set of beliefs and principles. My hope is that our church is known as a community that's committed to the gospel. A community that's committed to one another. A community where iron will sharpen iron and where the wounds of a friend are seen as blessing and love. Not as nastiness. As we move towards communion, I think of what we have before us. Right? It's God saying, I know you. I know you need this. I know that you need to eat the bread and be reminded that the body of my son has taken the place of your body. His good works have taken the place of your failure. God knows us. As we take communion, we realize he's also committed to us. What greater commitment than he, can he show than giving his own son? And we know that he is with us. I am with you, he says, even to the very end of the age. I know you. You have to have this. I'm committed to you. Here's the body and blood of my son. And I am with you, even to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the wise words that have been passed down to us. We pray that we would know them in the depth of our heart, Lord, that you would help us uh, to be a church where one can be known. To be a church, Father, where the gospel gives freedom. Pray, Lord, that we would be a church that is committed to your truth and to your gospel. That celebrates it. We pray, Lord, that we would be a community where people are marked by it. That those who spend time with the members of our church are changed for the good. Little by little, sinful responses and behaviors are dealt with, are shared, and, and then the celebrations the victories are, are shared one to another. Hardships are shared. Loss is shared. Yet in the midst of this, there is this growing reliance upon your grace. Father, we don't like to be known at times. We're afraid of what people might think. We like it when people think we are much better than we are. We think at times by the evil one's suggestion that if, if people knew who we were, what we struggled with, that they wouldn't want to be friends with us anymore. Oh, help us, Lord. And now as we take the bread and we take the wine, Father, will you remind us that we are dearly loved as we are, but we are not left as we are. That part of this sacrament is a reminder that we can throw off all forms of self-righteousness and cling to our Savior. And indeed, whatever your Spirit shows, He intends to remove the stain and the guilt of our sin. May you be glorified in this. And may we with renewed hearts, Father, move towards one another 
in deep and lasting relationships. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.